This is 50 miles per hour. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. You're deeply nuts, you know that. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is on. Stay on or get off. If it drops below 50, stay on or get off. It blows up. Oh darn. What do you do? You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I'm your host, Chris Tapley, and you're listening to an oral history of director Jan de Bont's 1994 summer blockbuster, Speed. Straight from the people who made it happen. Now, don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. Let's hit the road. Welcome back, everyone, and we've got another detour today. In the chronology of Speed, we have just cast our Jack Traven. Keanu Reeves, not an action star, but he's about to become one after an exhaustive search to find anyone who would say yes, and he was the one who would eventually say yes. And so I've roped in another of our leading journalists and essayists and critical minds, Alex Papadimus. He's a contributor to the New York Times, the New Yorker, GQ, Los Angeles Times. You've also seen his work at Grantland, Esquire, Spin, Rolling Stone, MTV News. This guy is everywhere. He's also an author, which is why I've brought him in today. He's the author of the 2022 book, Keanu Reeves' Most Triumphant, The Movies and Meaning of an Irrepressible Icon. As examinations of star personas through their actual work is concerned, it's second to none. So, if it isn't obvious, we're going to talk to Alex about Keanu Reeves today. So, Alex, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Very glad to be here. And is that a fair assessment of the book and what it is? It's less a biography and more a sort of critical dissection of a guy, right? It's a wild, close reading of everything that Keanu has ever put on screen, everything that's ever been written about him, things that he's said. It's kind of everything that we can see through the lens of his uh, public persona. But it's not a biography. I've I met him one time for, for GQ, or I met him twice for GQ. I don't know that I learned anything. about him in that meeting so much except what it was like for me to meet him and so this is kind of it's about the persona and the screen persona and the interplay between the the screen persona and the the very private public persona there you go and and nobody's put somebody on a couch like this guy does with this book it's an incredible book and we'll talk about it soon but uh let me just start us on our way here with a quick assessment of uh this guy, Keanu Reeves, and Alex is the expert, so he'll correct me if I screw anything up here, but Keanu Reeves was born September 2nd, 1964, so he's a Virgo. He was born in Beirut, Lebanon, the son of a costume designer slash performer, his mother, and a geologist, his father, who abandoned him at age three. So a quick jaunt through the early career here before we get to speed, Alex. Uh, Keanu was a commercials guy. He was out there selling Coca-Cola and cornflakes in the early years. He did some TV work, and then, uh, you know, I just want to speed up to 1986, no pun intended, uh, which was a breakout year uh, with, among other things, Teenage Dream, also known as Flying, with Olivia Dabo. He was on TV and NBC's Babes in Toyland, and a couple of other things, but the one I want to drill down on here, Alex, is River's Edge. Uh, This is with his soon-to-be Speed co-star, Dennis Hopper, and I'm sort of fascinated by this movie in that way because they're... Their characters never interact, and they're actually on screen just briefly in one scene. Uh, There's like a rack focus from Keanu to to Dennis in like a gas station 
And it's just, uh, it's kind of strange that th they would come together eight years later in this action film, but uh, kind of incredible movie, uh, River's Edge. And, and I love your chapter in the book on it. It's, you know, teenage angst, ennui, sort of seminal for all of that stuff. A few years before grunge is a thing, isn't it? Yeah. It feels like they're kind of inventing grunge in, in that moment. Um, it, it has the look of it's it's Twin Peaks before Twin Peaks. It's grunge before grunge. It's, you know, kind of dead end lives in a small town. It's it's California playing some other place, but they never actually say what it is. And it's based on a, a very terrible true story about something that did happen um, around that time. And uh, the screenwriter, Neil Jimenez, sort of like never forgot about it and kind of turned it into this story. And it's it's the first time that we get a sense of what Keanu is maybe capable of from the work that he's doing. He's been charming. He's been good looking. He's been kind of, a, you know, delightful and up for anything. And, you know, in, in the previous work, and even in the previous work that year. But this is the first time that's like, oh, here's what the application of this persona might be. And it's this, you know, stoner guy caught up in a situation where he is starting to feel things and where he's getting in touch with his emotions. And so it's a prototypical Keanu movie because it's it's about sort of, you know, someone who is sort of a low affect persona kind of starting to feel and start you know the heart starting to crack open a little bit because it's about these kids who have uh, their you know their friend has been murdered and they're all covering it up for their buddy who is responsible and Keanu is the one who starts to feel a, a kind of a, a tug of morality and that sort of a, you know that like a, a pang of this is this is not right uh, but it sort of has to fight its way through you know the, the stoned brain of this character and it's where you start to see him act for the first time he gets a chance to do that yeah and it's it's sort of like I mean it's a horror story in a way I mean because the horror story is the fact that and this is what I guess newspaper articles and stuff at the time around the actual event people were more horrified by the fact not not from the murder but by the not even cover up but just no one came to say anything to cops you know they were brought these guys went and looked at the body and stuff like it was just such a just really weird that these kids were like behaving in this way and that just freaked out the community. And so it's it's perfect fodder for a movie and certainly to, to to rope in a persona like his or a developing persona like his. It's very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's weird to compare the stories and the way that this the, the true story was written about at the time, because there is this. Yeah, this moral panic around what happened, because it's it's a, as in River's Edge, as in the movie version, the kids all go to see the body. And of, of this young woman who's been murdered and they don't tell anybody about it. But it's really interesting because those newspaper articles are all told in the voices of parents and authority figures kind of condemning this behavior. And they really don't talk to any of the kids at all, which might partly have to do with like the fact that it's an ongoing case and these are juveniles or whatever. But the thing that River's Edge does is it puts you inside the heads of all these characters and kind of shows you why they would behave this way. And like what was motivating them to do it and they all have their own reasons for participating in it and then eventually things start to break down in a kind of crime movie kind of way and then then dennis hopper gets involved and things get very lurid very quickly as they tend to do uh when, when hopper's around but yeah there is a weird kind of connection and i feel like it's you know this this book is full of kind of half-baked conspiracy theory type resonances that i i found very interesting and one of them is that 
you know, Keanu is the son of this, this errant father, this kind of errant hippie father who eventually gets, uh, you know, he goes to prison for uh, his involvement in a drug deal. And there is something about Hopper as this in River's Edge as this countercultural kind of bad dad figure to all of these kids. He's a surrogate father, but he's a surrogate, you know, father who leads them all astray especially daniel roebuck who's the young man who's responsible who's, who's, who's killed the girl and who mm-hmm. ends up you know with you know in in sort of pulled into hopper's orbit and so it's really interesting when he shows up later in speed and you know one of the first things that he says is don't fuck with daddy um he sort of establishes himself as as that guy you know because it's also it's like for hopper he's on the we can talk about this but hopper is on the other side of hopper's been through the you know through the tunnel of everything and he's come out he's sobered up and he's you know it's like like hoosier's blue velvet like that sort of that he's in that you know that resurgence after yeah. basically going off the deep end like in the sort of by the early 80s and kind of you know like doing stunts like where he like tries to blow himself up in a dynamite chair in the middle of a rodeo ring um and that's right. what, that's the <laughs> that's what the form that his art practice took at that moment was a dynamite um and that's you know he manages to not destroy himself and kind of has this resurgence at this moment. And he's, you know, he's the bad conscience of the counterculture. He's like the lingering sort of force, you know? And so then it's like the speed thing is, is, is fun because you get to see them actually kind of go head to head. And on some level it's all, you know, Keanu confronting a father figure once again. Totally. So at, coming out of that year, 1986, uh, you mentioned this, how he's kind of seemed game for anything. And that's certainly what I look at when I see the night before with Lori Laughlin, Aunt Becky, uh, Prince of Pennsylvania, Dangerous Liaison. Those are all in 88. It's kind of like in a good way. I can't figure out what kind of career this guy's trying to have. You know, he's certainly trying all kinds of different things. Um, what What's kind of your take on just the career he seems to be trying to build in the late 80s before he's going to break out and bill and ted and eventually point break and all of that but what does that feel like to you when you look at all this stuff i think everybody knows that this guy's going to be something partly just because he's so goddamn good looking and like that goes a long way at that moment and people are trying to find a slot for him in all of these things but he's in that weird window where you're a little old to play high school, but you're not too old. So you still kind of get slotted in there. It's like, you know, he's like night before is actually shot much earlier. So he is a little younger and it kind of sits around for a minute, but mm-hmm. he's in that, he, he it's, it's in that kind of neverland where you're not an adult actor yet fully. You, you people aren't going to buy you necessarily as a grown man, but you're a little bit too grown to play a teenager. And it's almost like, you know, you kind of have to go through that, sort of get over that hump somehow and i think they're slotting him into different things to kind of see how he's going to work and you know i think he's really good in uh dangerous liaisons like he gets you know he sort of he gets cucked by uh john malkovich which is hilarious and you know like he's got some he's he's really fun but like dangerous liaisons feels like you know i read this in the book but it's a movie that has almost two ingenues in it because it feels like it's it's keanu as the ingenue alongside uh uma thurman as the ingenue and they both sort of seem like here's the here's the young beautiful person that you know we just we've just slotted into this you know into this story and you know but uh, for me it doesn't really the moment that it comes into focus is 91 um Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like, that's the key moment. And I think that's, that's the moment that, you know, sort of will define him going into speed and in some ways going into everything that is ahead. 
So, I mean, I think we could, you know, if the, unless I'm skipping, unless I'm skipping no, over you, anything, let, you're let, sort of desperate let's, to get to. Let's take the uh, the journey as it comes. But I will say it's funny that you say that because, yeah, that's the the sort of definition of him coming into speed. Yet everyone still just kind of saw him as Bill and Ted, saw him as yeah. Ted. You know, it's like that was the persona. So that, that was all of the kind of uh, doubt around casting him in a movie like Speed. It was less like, oh, well, he did Point Break and more like that's Ted. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's weird that he, even though that, that year broke him out and he's working with, I mean, look who he's working with, not even just that year, but pushing forward into 92, 93, he's working with Coppola, Kenneth Branagh. He's working with Bernardo Bertolucci, uh, Gus Van Sant, and obviously uh, Catherine Bigelow with Point Break. I mean, it's it's like he's putting together a nice roster of just collaborators um, and certainly learning a lot along the way as well. Yeah. So uh, I, I find I find that fascinating. But regarding 91 and Point Break, let me ask you this, uh, and I think I know the answer based on the book. Do you consider Point Break an action movie? I do. Yeah. That's an interesting I question. I Why wouldn't I? Don't. I? You don't? I don't. Do you, I consider don't. It a, you consider it a romance, like a romantic no, comedy between no, I, these two guys? No, no, no. I consider it. It's I'll like buy that. It's in the same way that I don't consider Heat an action movie. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what I mean? It's, it's like it, it has action beats. Uh, look, part of this might just be me wanting to speed to be the movie that makes him an action hero so that people won't always say, well, what about Point Break? Yeah. <laughs> but that could be part of it. But I just, right. I kind of don't, I don't view it that way. I mean, there's the, there's the chase scene, the foot chase scene. There's the, there's some extreme sports in there, you know, but is it an action movie? No, I, just, I don't really, I've never really considered it that. I mean, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a skydiving there's like a conversation, you know, like dialogue while skydiving. Like it's pretty, there's a lot of action for something that's not an action movie, but I, I look, I see it. You're the guy with the speed podcast. Like you want speed to be the, the, <laughs> that's my know, hot the, take, turning, the turning point. It's like, yeah, you're coming at it from your own perspective. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, is Catherine Bigelow an action director or is she just a director who is always, you know, who's excited by those kinds of things, you know, mm -hmm. and by that, by that kind of material and drawn to filming action and filming, you know, people in action because it's, you know, like is blue steel an action movie? Like now you've mm -hmm. got me questioning all, you know, all of my kind of, let's keep going. Is the, is, is the fugitive an action movie? I mean, it's an action. There's a train, the train derails. And it's, there's yeah, a great but, action I mean, sequence, but is there, is it an action movie? Well, but it's like, we're talking about it and these are, you know, it's a, it, it, you know, it's 93, 92, like that, you know, that whole era, it's like the action movie means something different at that time. It's not yeah. so much, you know, it's funny. I, I watched speed again last night and the thing that strikes me, but you know, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but like watching speed again last night, it was like, I remember this being, I couldn't breathe while I was watching this movie because it was so fast and so intense and so just didn't let up. And I was watching, I was like, ah, this is pretty calm. It's just like the bus does the thing, you know, it's like, it feels like it, things are, you know, the, the, I think like our neurons have got, you know, or at least like, you know, for me, at least it's almost as if like the, the neurons have gotten burnt out and like, we need more and more intensity to, to stimulate us now. And so the thing yeah. like what an action movie looks like now versus then, you know, but yeah, it's like asking like, you know, it's like, it's like back and pause the getaway in action movie. Like you know, those that I think that probably would have been back then, but would you consider yeah. it that now, or is that much more, you know, sort of character drama or something like that? Yeah. Like I, I, I watched first blood last night again and you know, same yeah. thing. Uh, but, but the action stars of the era are the, you know, guys that are in movies like commando and, uh, Rambo first blood two yeah. and, uh, 
you know, that, so there, there is a certain sort of mold that Keanu and Bruce Willis and Die Hard is a part of sort of breaking uh, when we get into it. But, but, but 91, I want you to talk about 91, uh, whatever else you yeah. had to say there, because it is, it is a pivotal year. There's Point Break, Bill and Ted's po- Bogus Journey, My Own Private Idaho, which I saw again recently for the first time in forever. Um, fascinating group of movies, for sure. Yeah. All between July and September, wow. which is crazy. Like it's not even, it's not even, it's, I think of it as maybe the best year an actor has had that I can think of, but it's not even a full year. It's even like, it's, it's like the best half year. Um, Point Break is like, Ju- I think July. So is Bill, Bill and Ted and then uh, Private Idaho is September hmm. uh, around there. It's like right before Nevermind by Nirvana comes out, which I find to be a fascinating. I was just going to say, uh, that's an incredible six, seven weeks of music. I mean, Nevermind, Bad yep. Motor Finger, Use Your Illusions, Metallica, mm-hmm. Blood Sugar Sex Magic, even, you know, Tribe yeah. Called Quest. Uh, yes. Uh, Low End Theory. I was going to say Tribe Called Quest if you didn't, because <laughs> it's, it, it's a great It's an moment. incredible stretch of time yeah. uh, for pop culture. Yeah. And, and yeah, something's, you know, something's in the water, something's happening. Things are, things are starting to shift. And I think we are, we are shifting into, you know, we're shifting into like the nineties are really starting, right? Cause the nineties do not start on January 1st, 1990, no decade, like decades don't break like that really. Like it feels like they do, you know, but like really like, you know, just as I, I think the sixties kind of happened in the early seventies, really, it's almost like the, you know, the nineties don't really start until like Nirvana and Clinton for me yeah, like it's that yeah. you know it's that that moment once he's playing that saxophone yeah, so ni- <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he signals the start of the 90s it blows the the, the, the you know the, the the brings us into it um but yeah so i love the second bill and ted movie um keanu i think does not keanu and alex winter i think both feel that it got you know diminished between the script stage and the shooting stage that it was you know that whatever they signed up for didn't happen i still find it really fun because i find i love the idea of going back to these characters and doing something so dark where they literally die and go to hell you know it doesn't all work um but it's still i i find it really enjoyable and i find it enjoyable because it's you know it fits all three of these movies are about two guys uh who have great affection for one another and the world kind of conspiring to keep them apart mm-hmm. in some way that's the plot of point break it's the plot of bogus journey it's the the plot of my own private idaho um is that for one reason or another these these men uh, cannot cannot be together even you know whether sort of like romantically or otherwise just you know like platonically like whatever it can't happen um but the key ones from this year the key the two movies that are key i think are point break and idaho because they demonstrate it's not range exactly because he's keanu in both of them and like that's not you don't go to keanu and we're going to talk about what like what happens when you do this but you don't go to keanu for like a transformation necessarily what i think the two movies demonstrate because they're so, even though, like I said, I feel like they have a lot in common thematically, they're so different tonally. And what they demonstrate is like almost the range of applications of Keanu, like where you can put, what type of movie you can put Keanu into that like, yes, he is down for whatever. He will make a wild queer art film with Gus Van Sant. um, And he's, you know, like, he said that basically like he and River Phoenix, they were not afraid to do that, but like it is ballsy to do that in 1991. It's long before broke back. It's long before anything, you know, like it's a very different country and, you know, very different 
business in terms of the way that you know sort of like straight actors in gay roles it's like that's a risk to take and they seem like they don't care yeah. um but he can also carry what i take to be an action movie he can also carry something that or at least like a movie in which like he's supposed to be a tough guy you know in in that way so he can make point like point break works because of him but what happens like right after that in the movies that he makes sort of coming off that when he's got that heat it's not action, as you sort of pointed out. It's like it's him taking that clout that he has from Point Break, which is a pretty big hit. It's pretty successful. And then My Own Private Idaho is like a you know, big critical success. What he does is he goes and works with Coppola because who's going to say no to Francis Ford Coppola if you have that opportunity? And supposedly it's like, um, I think it, there's supposed to be Johnny Depp in that part, mm -hmm. right? And then like when Depp can't do it, Coppola is like, who should I get to do it? And Winona Ryder is like, get Dianu. And I think Coppola said that he didn't really know what Keanu's whole deal was at that time. Like he didn't know what the persona was necessarily. Probably still doesn't. Like, and he sort of, <laughs> maybe still doesn't. I think he, no, well, they've, he's been asked about it and like, you know, about like, why would you cast this guy, you know, this dude who's sort of like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but like, obviously like, you know, well, okay. What happens is that he works with Coppola. He, does, he makes uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula with Francis Ford Coppola. He makes Much Ado About Nothing for Kenneth Branagh. And he makes Little Buddha for Bernardo Bertolucci. All, of, all because I think like these are, you know, who's going to say no to these? Like he's a Shakespeare guy from way back. So he's going to, of course, you're going to do Shakespeare with Kenneth Branagh. He's like a film nerd and a film snob. And he's like, I want, of course, you were going to say like Bertolucci wants you like you say yes, no matter what. Like the guy made the conformist, like forget it. Like you're just going and doing it. Mm -hmm. You don't ask, like, am I right for this necessarily? And, you know, in all three of these, he's playing people from the past. Mm -hmm. And the specificity of Keanu is maybe a liability mm -hmm. in this moment. There's the expression smartphone face, which we have now, <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> it's been applied to people like Timothy Chalamet or Dakota Johnson, like people who are good actors, but maybe just for some reason, there's something about them that said, this is a modern person. Like this looks like a modern person and like, it's hard to buy them in some context other than that, where they're supposed to be from the past. It's like, they said this about uh, Camilla Morone uh, from uh, Daisy Jones in the six, like she knows, looks like she knows what Venmo is. <laughs> <laughs> like that's it somebody tweeted that and like that's been the thing it's like you know like there's something about it's like it's an intangible quality that like you're like no that's that person's from today that person's walking around now you just it takes you out with Keanu it's not so much a visual thing as like an affect mm -hmm. thing like he just seems like people find him hard to believe as anything but a dude from modern times mm -hmm. Like a kind of, there's something about the voice or like, and probably the face too. Like, but like, I think there's, it's for him, it's more just like, it's a vibe and it doesn't exactly work, even though he really goes in, for, especially on Little Buddha in a way that he kind of wouldn't in the future. It's like one of his few, like, you know, it, he's never going to be the guy who you know, is not Christian Bale. He's never going to transform himself. He's not going to, you know, gain a ton of weight he's there's a couple there's like one or two counter examples to this that i'm not going to get into but like pretty much like he kind of looks like keanu he's not like trying to make you forget that he's keanu little buddha he really does like look different he loses a ton of weight he's got sort of like contacts and hair and everything like you know he's kind of got his skin's a little darkened which is sort of unthinkable today but it's just kind of that was you know it's bertolucci again it's a different time yeah. um 
I kind of love that movie. Honestly, it's very hard to, to see. Like I had to, you have to buy it basically. Like you can't, I don't think it's streaming anywhere and it's sort of, it sort of feels like a lost film uh-huh. somehow, but I, I, I think it's, I, I find it fascinating because it's like, he's playing this fairy tale version of Prince Siddhartha. Who's the, you know, the, the, the Buddha, like a sort of, it's the story of the first, the first, the enlightenment of the, you know, the Prince Siddhartha. And he's, I, I find him kind of exactly right for it somehow like it's a very weird movie and it doesn't all work necessarily and there's this it's kind of goes back and forth between this weird contemporary thing with chris isaac and bridget fonda and then like this kind of you know fairy tale Mm -hmm. about the life of the buddha that you know but like there is there is something about him my whole thing in the book i go on maybe a little too long about this and i'm probably going on a little long on it now but that like it's in a lot of ways predicts the matrix. It predicts like that story. It's a story that he's drawn to for whatever reason of this character who is believed that the world is one way and then goes out on the journey and discovers that it is actually something else. And that the, you know, the suffering that is out there in the world is much greater than he could have imagined and sort of bears the weight of that. And you sort of see him kind of go through that and like you see him go through the you know this the sort of the buddhist enlightenment sort of seeing like seeing through the veil of the world and seeing through the falseness of it and all of that mm-hmm. and there's a lot of weird resonances between that and uh you know the stuff that he would do in the future but i so i like all these films but it's i, I love dracula I love but Dracula. It's I, not, I, love the, I love the just kind of like tactile quality of that movie and, and just the old school techniques. And it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's a Rome, Roman Coppola on practical effects. Like that's the, <laughs> you know, actually doing all the dry ice and stuff and dry, mirrors and dry ice and all the, you know, really doing it old school. It's one of my favorite Coppola's it's top five. And Coppola, Coppola is still to this day, uh, firing entire art departments. So, uh, God bless him. <laughs> I loved that. Everybody, when that, when that was happening, it was like, you know, people are like, oh, this movie's in trouble. I was like, do you not know the story? Do you not know Francis? Totally. Baby, like, this is him and his, he's, uh, this is all cylinders. They made like, an entire he's, documentary about yeah. this kind of shit. <laughs> Go watch Hearts Come of Darkness. Yeah. Yeah, this is how, this is how it gets made. This is how the wine gets bottled. <laughs> That's how it happens. Absolutely. Um. So I'm really, yeah, I'm so stoked for that movie. Uh, but, all right, so it, it all of this has so he makes these three films he kind of takes advantage of of the opportunity to work with these guys because who wouldn't all these directors and he is not some of the, the movies are received you know to varying degrees well i think like you know people really like much ado dracula is like i think gets more popular over the years little buddha is people are like what the hell is this mostly like it doesn't exactly pan out but he is singled out, particularly in Dracula, but also in Much Ado, as like the weak link. Mm-hmm. And like I remember being going to see Much Ado. I remember people just laughing because there's a part where he stands up and he's like shirtless in leather pants, getting a massage from his like manservant, and like standing up and doing Shakespeare in that look. And it's very camp, and it's very I think sort of knowing and deliberate because that movie is a very kind of sexed up version yeah. of the material, you know, in a way that sort of feels. It feels predictive of, you know, like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet almost like it feels kind of like that's where it's going, you know, that like there's that over that overwrought thing like here's we're going to make it a little hotter so that you can really feel what this was like, like because this was, you know, probably the sexiest play in, you know, like the in, in town when it was when Shakespeare put it on. Um, but he kind of gets he kind of gets laughed out of these movies like because it's and there's something about 
him that just does not work for people and that takes people out of the movie because again it's like he seems like Keanu he doesn't seem like he disappears into it and obviously like Dracula is the the real example where he's like you know like I've got to go to the <laughs> castle and like it's just it's it's a little bit of a like yonder is the castle of my father uh, Tony Curtis like in that thing so I, there's a moment after all of this has happened where like the question of what kind of movie star he's going to be comes up again because it's not been resolved by these three films because it's not like oh he's really connected in these this type of movie so he's going to be this type of actor it's still like okay but what is he then we know that he's got star power he's got star quality what is he going to do what's he going to do with it there's a moment he does an interview with i think it's dazed confused the british uh magazine um where he's talking about what he's going to do next and he's like it's it's could not be more sort of stark in terms of a representation of this he's like i'm either going to do this movie that my friend wrote where i'm going to play apollo dionysus and bacchus you know the mythological figures dionysus and bacchus by the way i think same the same thing. god yeah. like in two different pantheons or he's going to play a swat team guy in a movie he's got this swat team movie that he's thinking about um obviously we are here to talk about the swat team movie that's the direction that he chooses to go in there's and 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 i just want to all, all of that is the context by the way for you know, the last episode, everyone heard about the exhaustive search for this actor and they wanted people like Charlie Sheen and William Baldwin. And uh, the, the, the comment was made that the action star of the time was typically a guy in his 40s. You know, you're looking at guys like Arnold, you're looking at guys like uh, yeah. Stallone. Uh, <laughs> they're in their late 40s yeah, by this yeah. point. Yeah. And it, they're both like 46. So, so one comment was uh, they're all men or men plus <laughs> meaning getting older. And, and so <laughs> it's like, yeah, when you, when you kind of think about it, there's a mold to be broken here and really Keanu Reeves is going to be the guy to do it. They didn't have him anywhere near a list for this role at, at the start. Eventually he's on the list and they're just like, fuck it. Okay. Keanu. And then he turns it down once and then it becomes about convincing the guy that they didn't even want to begin with because they just thought he was Ted, let alone these movies he's coming out of where he's being laughed out of the theater. So it it, it is such a, a sort of pivot point, I guess. I mean, obviously, because he's about to become a global superstar off of this movie. But uh, I just want to, yeah. as we start to talk about it, the like the chapter on this in your book is fantastic because and we'll talk about this he was studying to do his helm his hamlet uh at the time which is such a dichotomy um but you close by saying what speed really tells us is how little actual acting keanu has to do in order to be compelling in a movie which cannot be a comfortable truth but it's possible speed understood keanu better than keanu understands speed i love that because First of all, I do think he's sort of bemused by the fandom around this movie and probably just never got the movie uh, beyond just the job of it all. And, you know, not that he didn't take it seriously, but I, I do get the feeling that he would just be confused by a guy like me doing something like this. But uh, this idea that about the acting, you know, I've said that the movie is fascinating because there's no character arcs nobody learns anything you watch a guy do his job for two hours and who better to watch a guy try to put the pieces yeah. of a puzzle together than keanu reeves i mean he's got this passive quality which really works for the character because he's playing a cop he's very just observational and trying to figure things out and it's just a perfect visage to kind of stare at working through all of this 
And so, you know, I'll let you yeah. take it from there. But like that, that just struck me in your book because it's, it, it gets to what I think is so compelling about his presence in the movie. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, you know, there's, there's a moment uh, in a, there's a great old Chris Heath profile where Chris Heath asks him to, uh, I think it's Rolling Stone, asks him to name his 10 best films. And he doesn't mention speed, which is interesting because I think anybody, you know, if you're making a real sort of straight down the middle list of the 10 best Keanu movies, like, you know, it would be odd to not put speed on there, you as a consumer, mm -hmm. right? But he doesn't see it that way. He sort of, and I, I think you're right that he's kind of like, really speed? Like that was, you know, because I think it feels like, you know, you got to think like what he's coming off of. Like, it seems like a, you know, it's it's a little bit of a, a you know, it feels like a market correction in, somehow in terms of like what, you know, what he can do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what he's, and it's not, it does not ask that much of him. And like he, with the way that he talks about it, and I quote this in the book, like he talks about, you know, it gave me, it didn't take up too much room in my head. There wasn't too much to think about. There's not too much character to think about. There's not really, you know, th there's no backstory to this character. There's nothing, you're not kind of creating anything. You're just kind of doing, you're acting, you're being. Um, and, you know, so, I, I, I that has to feel that there that as an actor if you sort of imagine yourself as something kind of you know something more than that like it has to feel like oh i don't I, you know like i can see why he doesn't love this one as much as everybody else does this is another one where he has to develop into a different kind of guy in order to triumph like there is a journey that he goes on and it's similar to point break point break is a movie where he has to become a cool guy in order to do his job properly like he has to get in touch with this sort of patrick swayze side and then like you know the, what swayze brings out in him he cannot really sort of fully contain and he realizes that there's a bigger life than the one that he's been leading as this sort of guy who went straight into the fbi after you know the football in college or whatever and like that's the that's the arc of that character and this one is about him having to discover a humanity i think beyond that machine like quality because at first like he is very much like when he shows up it's like yeah he's he's all business he is sort of like there's something robotic about him he's got the buzz cut you know he's sort of he is which was you know i think that's that's yandabont like trying to make him look more adult and kind of get rid of the long hair so he doesn't look like a teen well, that, guy anymore, that's actually keanu right? pulling something that they didn't know that he was going to do did you know that I've heard different things because, yeah, I've heard this version, too, that like there was something where like, you know, he had the long hair because he was playing he was playing Siddhartha and like, you know, he then he sort of shows up with the buzz cut and everybody freaks. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. One too. So that's that's what I've heard. And and they're sort of like Jan sort of like calculating, OK, how long is it going to be when we start shooting? And so it grows out a little bit from where it was, but he definitely went full jarhead with it uh, when he came in. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, so it, right. Like Dennis Hopper has this quote that, you know, it's like, like talking about Keanu's kind of visual versatility. And he's like, you know, in, in the little Buddha, he looks like a beautiful woman. And then he showed up for speed and he looked like a bulldog. <laughs> and I kind of love that. What, where was that? But where was I, that? I, uh, it's in the book. So it's, I probably think it's cited I, or maybe it's not. I don't, I don't, I don't I remember that in there. Um, uh, well, I'm just, I asked because it's so hard to find anything from Dennis of, su of substance on this movie. So. Yeah, it's the one guy you can't get for this, exactly, unfortunately. Yeah, and and yeah, it's, it it would be interesting to have his. I would love to know like what his what his take yeah. was. So I, I mean, I think like the you know so the interesting thing that happens and like I'm not telling you anything you don't know because I know that you talked to Joss Whedon already and so you know that you know that his I'm sure you got that version of the story, but I do think it's funny that you know he is he's coming in as the 
kind of, you know, somewhat reluctant successor to the Stallones and the Schwarzeneggers and all of that. He's incredibly ambivalent about doing that. He's the, because he's this bookish bohemian Canadian guy. And it's not ever the way that he pictured himself. It's not the kind of actor that he wanted to be. So he does tailor speed to himself a little bit. And like, that's supposedly right. What happens in that, like in the Whedon draft is a lot of, it gets dequipified. Yeah is what I've always heard. Yeah, it does. So like there's, I've not read what it would have been like, like I've not read like the Graham Yost draft or anything, but I imagine you can imagine it's like, it probably would say it probably reads like a sort of late eighties, early nineties action movie with a lot of, you know, sort of like no, it does. And in fact, zingers. in your book, you, you, you opened my eyes to something I hadn't really thought of, which I've read a few drafts, all of them in 93. Uh, but the March draft is closest to what it had been for a while before uh, the kind of, with production imminent before those rewrites started to happen. And there's a whole episode coming up about all of that. But uh, mm -hmm. regarding Joss, um, I, I, well, two things here. First of all, you mentioned how like the first act of the movie just feels like the kind of movies that came before in a way it was, I'm paraphrasing here, but it, it, it does sort of feel like that elevator sequence and the chewing the gum and the, you know, yeah, basement, you know, these quips and stuff. Mm -hmm. It does feel like the relic version of this movie before it becomes the sort of this is what this kind of movie is going to be going forward. And I found that interesting because that is the one sequence that sort of never changed throughout development. And so it remains that kind of thing in, in totally. the movie. And the other thing is, and you were touching on this, uh, you say in the book, so Speed is a perfect action movie for Keanu because it's about a tough guy who, in order to do his job and save the bus passengers and himself, has to learn to be cooler to other people and to be more Keanu-like. Regarding Joss Whedon in this, uh, Joss, and this is coming up in an episode, but I'll just mention it now. He told me that, you know, he was sitting down with Keanu and the, Keanu was like wanting to get rid of some of this quippy stuff. And he was like, having talked to the SWAT guys, they are only ever about diffusing a situation. He was like, they call everybody sir or ma'am. And Joss was like, once he said that, it was like a light bulb went off. Like, I know who this guy is now. And it really informs a lot of what you see in the movie. I mean, obviously, the movie is so very much the dialogue. Almost all of it is Joss. So the attitude of the movie is Joss Whedon. But I just found that interesting. And then reading that passage in your book about it, it sort of connected to that, that, uh, that sir or ma'am thing, that sort of different kind of action hero. It's not about bravado. It's about, yeah, like he doesn't want to pull his gun on the guy. Uh, uh, Daniel Villarreal, he, he, he told Joss, I don't mm -hmm. want to pull my gun on that guy. And he's like, yeah, no, but he kind of have to <laughs> in this movie. Let's just do it and then move on from it. And in the way that even that beat is handled, it's just a different kind of action hero, a more, I guess, empathetic action hero. Right. And there's traces of it just being, you know, the cowboy cop who doesn't play by the rules, you know, in that early sequence, like you sort of, you see it, like he's a, you know, he's, he's crazy. He's going to do the crazy thing to get the situation resolved. Like, you know, he's got, you know, cause that's what he's got going into it. He's, you know, he like, that's what Jeff Daniels says to him, like pretty early on. He's like, guts will get you so far. Luck will get you killed. It's like in that bar scene. And he tells him to stop. He tells him to start thinking, mm -hmm. you know, but really what he has to do is he has to start feeling right. He has to become more empathetic because he's going to be in a situation that can't be resolved by you being the bad, tough guy with the gun. It's not like Clint Eastwood's not going to be able to, you know, Dirty Harry is not in this situation is going to die on a bus. Like it's not it's just not going to work because you can't point your big old gun at, a you know, at this situation and resolve it in that way. 
So like the first really important thing that happens is in that sort of initial thing in the elevator rescue sequence. It's the moment when he's got everybody off the elevator. So he's rescued uh, young Patrick Fischler already is off of there. And uh, his friend, Robert Mailhouse, who will play in Dog Star with him, who's playing the exec who says, you know, what button did you push? I'm sure you know this and this is trivia, but he's gotten everybody else. He gets Mailhouse off and there's this one woman executive left in the back of the elevator who's petrified and like won't come up to do the thing because of that it's that look she has to crawl through this little window and she's like if this elevator drops like i'm getting guillotined i'm getting cut in half and like she recognizes that and she's not moving she's pinned to the wall and in that moment like the crane breaks and like all of this stuff is happening and it's like time is of the essence but like keanu doesn't know what to do so he just yells and then he just yells louder he's just sort of like he's just like come on like he's like he can't there's nothing there, he has nothing for this situation he and let, what it requires is like somebody has to you know you got to really sort of reach this woman in a different way and it's like he doesn't know what to do and so they get her off there in the nick of time situation you know is resolved goes on um and what's going to happen over the course of the movies there's going to be a few more of those moments where you see him having to use a different toolbox a different skill set that he's maybe needs to cultivate in order to become like so that's what he's becoming over the course of this movie is that he's becoming like less of this person who is the cop identity and more of a human being who's part of a community and like is i think that that's the most profound thing that's happening in speed because the second big moment is daniel villarreal it's the kid like he you know the, he get when he first gets on the bus the guy thinks Keanu's there to take him in uh, for some crime. We don't know what it is. And he has to be like, I don't care about your crime. Like I'm not, he has to basically, he puts, he's like, puts the gun down, right? He puts the badge down. He has to be a human being. He's like, I'm not a cop right now. We're just two guys together. And like that situation doesn't go south until somebody decides to be the hero and tackle the guy with the gun. And that's when the driver gets shot and everything, you know, goes to shit. And like that, the whole situation kind of ramps up and gets even worse. But in that moment, he's having to sort of think outside of the cop identity and think of himself as a human being and like how to, you know, sort of connect with this person as a human being. And what it eventually builds up to is it, uh, for me, it's the moment with Sandra Bullock, which is like, we're fast forwarding way into speed. And if there's stuff in between that you want to talk about, we can totally do it. But yeah. So like the third, the, the third big moment for me is when uh, the, uh, they're uh, helping the woman off the bus uh, they've gotten the driver off. Hopper has agreed to let them, you know, let the driver off. And then that woman tries to get off and she gets blown up. And Sandra Bullock, Annie is dealing with her survival guilt, survivor's guilt in that moment. And he has to sort of talk her through that. And what happens in the, you know, by the end, or at least by the end of the bus segment of this movie is that he's not only has he sort of like had to sort of tap into an empathy and how to connect with like human beings in order to do this because they're all in this together and the bus becomes this like microcosm of a community where he has to and he has to participate in that and they all have to do the, like work together and he's not he can't like boss people around in that he has to become something but it's also like he has to almost take on like the traditional female role in a movie, like where he's like sort of at his, it's like Sandra Bullock is doing the hard tough guy job of driving the bus. And he's the one who's like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Are you, how are you doing? Like he's tending to her wound and stuff. And it's like a very, it's an inversion of that. And it feels very modern and very, you know, it's a, it's an inversion of what, you know, screen masculinity would be in that moment. And it's, I think it's where you can see 
you know, Keanu sort of exploring like what that is. Like you can see movies exploring what the future of screen masculinity is going to be through the way that Keanu is used in this movie and through what he ends up doing and what they sort of, what becomes, you know, like sort of what kind of behavior is of value and of like in what is, you know, valorized yeah. in this film is being a certain way and like kind of treating people with respect and, you know, empathy and kindness and all of that. And it's a very sort of, it's like, it's just, uh, yeah, it's such a, like a Zen mm-hmm. action movie in so it, many ways. It I just, would be, I, I love it so it, much. Keanu's action movie yeah. would be a Zen action movie. But speaking of that yeah. scene, uh, and it's worth bringing up just the chemistry with Sandra Bullock here. It's a huge part of why the movie works. I think she deserves a ton of credit for, for that. Totally. I mean, it just, they make an interesting tandem and it's a shame that, you know, uh, 12 years later, they'll come back together in this movie that I still have no idea what the hell happened in uh, the lake house. Uh, but, but yeah, just, just the, the chemistry with Sandra is just a huge part of what makes everything you just talked about kind of work, I think. And I think they're playing what's, what's written there, which is these are two people who would probably never have connected in this way, but they connect under extreme circumstances. And like, I think that's, I think that's all, that's all there. Yeah. But it is, it is one of those things where, yeah, these, these people would not, you know, these people would not fall in love probably. But like they've maybe they've you know they've figured just as you know people in LA probably don't know their bus driver by name, you know. But there's <laughs> there's which is a thing that both both Keanu and Sandra Bullock. I mean maybe they have that connection because they're really close to their public transit, uh, the, you know, the public transit people that they see every day. Like they both have that connection yeah. because Keanu is also like, hey, I forget his name, but like Sam. the guy who sort of they, they go to the same coffee shop. Hey Sam, and then oh yeah, at the beginning, R.I.P. Sam. You're talking about the beginning. Yeah, he knows. He's definitely he's friends with a bus driver too. Uh, so maybe that's what they have name? in common. That's what their relationship would have been based on. What's his name? Capodici plays. Oh, Keanu's friend, the bus. Yeah, yeah Sam is the driver of Sam this is of Hawthorne our bus James. of 2525. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. That's, I feel so shamed for this. Anyway, yeah. No one will shame yeah. you for hope, not, for hope not, not knowing hope that. Not. Coming out of speed. I mean, what do you make of his like post speed career? I mean, one of the reasons I think he's sort of like really speed is, is that he probably has a complex relationship with it because it blew up his star in a way he maybe wasn't super comfortable with at the yeah. time uh so what does he do with that star is sort of the question i mean what do you what do you make of what he seemed to be trying to do to do with his career now that he has such global success with speed yeah i think there's there's two things there's one there's one kind of you know river phoenix dies while he's shooting yeah. speed it's early in the in the shoot mm-hmm. um and Obviously, that's, you know, ultimately, it's a personal tragedy for Keanu more than it is anything else. But I think it probably changes the direction of the career a little bit. Like, would they have made more films together? Like, Damon and Affleck didn't, but like, they might have. They seem to really love working together. And there's a, you know, parallel universe to ponder where they work together again. And that probably launches him in a different direction, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's if that's there. But because like Rivers career is just amended at that moment, you don't know. Uh, what that what would have happened but also by the time he does speed he's made this decision to do hamlet like he's had conversations you know with uh, you know brenna and with uh, kevin klein and they've said to him basically you know this is the age where you should play hamlet if you're if you're going to do it you should do it now um and he gets this you know this opportunity to do it with 
uh, Robert Baumander, who's the, somebody he's worked with way back in Canadian theater in the old days, who he's, I think, done Shakespeare with before. And so it's this weird kind of, it's this weird homecoming. He goes to Canada, he goes to Winnipeg, um, of all places. Like there is apparently the option on the table to do like a big sort of like New York broad kind of debut, like some kind of thing that would be very high profile. And he chooses not to do that. He chooses to do it almost in a place that's like hard to get to. Like, it's not like, you know, people go anyway and like obsessive Keanu fans show up and like sell out the run sells out the whole thing. But like, he's trying to do something. It's away from all of this craziness. It's like, it's this lifelong dream because he's like a Shakespeare guy, but it's also an escape hatch from everything that is happening. And it's a thing to, it's like to go and do this at this moment, rather than kind of striking while the iron is hot with whatever, you know, kind of thing you're going to go and do is... I think a calculated decision and I think it's a decision to, it's an attempt to kind of bring the temperature down on everything and kind of postpone whatever, again, the question of what he's going to go and do. Um, and, you know, he goes and does this, he goes and does this thing. Uh, it's, you know, they try to keep a lid on it as best they can. Like it's not, you know, so it's not like filmed or anything. And like, there's not, you know, they, like they're, you know, they don't allow any like press to come in and sort of review it uh, until like the last kind of possible moments and everything. But yeah, I think it's like, it's, you know, it's the beginning of him not quite, you know, knowing what to do next. And I think he will ultimately, he's in a position after that, uh, that he's going to be in probably like up through up through the matrix maybe in in some ways where i think like his what he sort of wants for himself his idea of himself and his idea of what he like should be doing and the thing that i think studios and maybe even audiences want from him are is very different and i don't know that he really resolves that quandary in any like really satisfactory way until something like the matrix comes along which is almost like it's almost like if it was, if you could do speed and little Buddha at once, <laughs> like that's the sort of, it's the mat. It's like the, there, there's very few, there's never been a movie like that when the movie comes out, like when he sort of, when it happens, it's like, there's not like that combination of the existential journey and the crazy bullet time Kung Fu action movie. Uh, you know, uh, that's a, like a unicorn in that moment uh, for, you know, for movies and for Keon, for a project to be presented to him like that but that stuff doesn't come along you know and like there's only he gets he gets one like every every decade or so you know it's like because i think john wick is also like a sort of unique use of like the thing that is of action keanu and sort of you know emotional keanu vulnerable keanu spiritual keanu whatever it mm -hmm. is i think like those he that allows him to be both of those things but it's hard it's hard to find movies that let you kind of do that and that you know and i think it's you could kind of wander in the desert looking for them. And I think he, you know, he, he sort of does. And there's also the other problem, which you know, we talked about a bit before we started recording, but that often he will set out to do something that's a little left field. That's a little weird. And people will, the people in charge, people with the money will look at that project and sort of say, yeah, but this could, with a little just nudge here or there, it could be a Keanu movie. It could be like, you know, something bigger has the potential to be huge. And the first time that really happens, I think is Johnny Mnemonic, which is supposed to be, you know, like William Gibson and Robert Longo 
talking about it like it's going to be Alphaville, like they wanted to make a you know like a new wave. The, mo- the movie you describe in the book that it would have been sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't exist, supposedly. Like, Longo, like, sort of said, like, they didn't ever... It's not like there's the movie yeah. on the cutting room right. floor somewhere. There's no director's cut, because they, 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 by the time... Like, it got it got sort of messed with enough, early enough, that we don't really know what it would have been, you know, if it's, you know, because, like, the Dolph Lundgren is foisted upon them, and, like, there's all kinds of things that sort of go awry. But that movie's, like, still super fun, and you can see the movie that they were trying to make. Mm-hmm there i think and like there's it, it still kind of feels like it, it has like that sort of it, you know there is a the, it, you know it's just it's an amazing kind of like uh, you know downtown arty kind of cast you know it's mm-hmm. got you know you got henry rollins and udo kier and like all that you know yeah so that that's that starts happening too that people are like well but we've got the star of speed in our movie right and so this movie could be instead, you know, he like they want it to be this, but like it's our money. So like we can tell Robert Longo, like what kind of movie we want it to be. And we want it to be an action movie starring Keanu Reeves as like a, you know, cool guy, like, you know, having an adventure. And like, I think that sort of that that will be a problem for him, too, like that his involvement will shift the type of movie that it is. And it's almost as if he can sort of like by his, you know, just by his presence in the cast, it ceases to be the thing that he wants it to be, or it's harder to make it the thing that he wants it to be. And so, I mean, I guess this really sort of, we've explained like why he thinks about speed that way. I think you're right that it's sort of, it like, it proves that this can be done, like that he can sort of really make an action, like that he's a super, totally viable, like people buy him as an action star in a way that they don't really buy some of the people that they're trying to slot into this sort of like Stallone uh, Schwarzenegger successor position. And I don't know, it doesn't ruin his life necessarily, but it makes it harder because there's suddenly this expectation. Why wouldn't, if you could do that, why wouldn't you keep doing it? Yeah. And nobody really understands why he doesn't want to keep doing it. And in the absence of wanting to keep doing it is when you get to the weird kind of wilderness years of Keanu, which is like, you know, I spend a lot of time on in the book because it's still, he's still doing fascinating things all the time in those movies. But what do you consider? There's what do you consider of, this period of time? I mean, I think it's the pre it's everything. It's like, it's certainly like between like matrix and John wick almost like feels like it's really trying to figure it out. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking now like, you know, replacements is bad. Uh, Sweet November is bad. Uh, I never saw the watcher, but what happened with that movie is quite a story. That's one. Um, yes. That's a great example of one where like it's the, his, his, you know, that's one where he gets sort of tricked into making a movie. It's like bow fingered into this movie. <laughs> and like it, it's happened more than once to him where they will almost that like, he will shoot, you know, a little bit for something like he'll, 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 you know, shoot some scenes. And then suddenly like, he's the star of the movie, like, which is not his intention, but like they sort of, you know, it's like you kind of, you know, if you have Keanu in your movie and you can make a Keanu Reeves movie out of this movie, like, you know, you're going to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but that, I mean, that one becomes like a legal situation because he claims he was, you know, sort of falsely kind of, you know, dragooned into, into doing this. And like, <laughs> I think that's probably, that's probably true, but it's, you know, it's a weird thing. It's like, seems like it's, between it's also friends. funny. It's, I'm, I'm so, I mean, I'm sorry. It's funny. Like that this has happened to him a couple of times at this point. Yeah, too. it is. I mean, and that one is like, cause that's the guy, <laughs> the watcher. I forget the dude's name, but he's like, his previous credit is like, he shot the EPK for the dog star album, you know? And like, he's kind of the guy, he was the guy who's like on the tour bus, tried like, maybe I'll make a documentary about this. And then like Joe, Joe Charbonic, Joe Charbonic, 
there, it is alleged. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's one of those things where he's like, hey, could you sign this? And they're on the tour bus having beers or something. And then suddenly he's like, I've seemed to have committed to starring in The Watcher. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> directed by Joe Tarbonic. That movie is hilarious. It's a terrible use misuse of Keanu. It's like, you know, it's an absurd it's Keanu and James Spader playing the, the roles that the other person should have played, basically. So like Keanu should be the cop who's like kind of going after the serial killer and Spader should be the weirdo because Spader's a great weirdo. And yet instead it's like Spader is the cop and it's just all it's all wrong. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, you know, I, I'm yeah, I, I watched that so you don't have to. But, uh, you know, it's it's, it's uh, <laughs> but there's a lot and there's a lot of things it's, you know, uh, you can you can see what he's trying to do you know he's trying to do sort of different things in in all of them he's got there's always something interesting i find sweet november to be fascinating because he plays don draper basically like you know trying to grow a soul i i I picked this up in your book man i feel like you might have had to convince yourself that there was something fascinating about all of these (laughs) and sweet november no no to all of that it's i mean okay i will say it was a it was a pandemic and the way that i we we all (laughs) kind of dissociated in our own ways and found our own kind of escapes from what was going on around us and not thinking that's what this has been for me yeah yeah. i mean look it's we we all we all need it and for me it was it was diving into the, the the kind of you know like dark period of keanu and sort of finding things to love about it and finding things to you know seeing him trying to do something because he is always i think there is an internal story that he is telling there is something that he's been drawn to and something that he's trying to bring out and i think like the real theme of this book as i look back on it i don't know that this was exactly what i set out to do necessarily but like when i sort of read it back and think about what i'm doing it's like it sort of demonstrates how hard it is to make good movies. Like even if you are in a great position, even if you're a huge movie star, like that it's how miraculous it is when a movie is good, like how much you are Mm -hmm. up against in terms of even like, if you read a script and you're like, this is great. I'm going to make this one because I believe in this project over another project. There's so much that can go wrong in between those two points, you know, and he's talked a lot about, you know, like, being he's like i like the version of feeling minnesota that's not in the movie so whatever Mm -hmm. he shot and whatever ends up on screen and it's just what you find realize is like how powerless an actor is unless you Mm -hmm. really become somebody who is producing and direct unless you do like a george clooney where you're like i'm a producer i'm a director i'm creating works for me to star in like i'm sort of in charge of that whole process i've taken control of, of the thing if you're just Keanu, who's not, who's really hasn't, you know, he's only directed one film. It's like, he's not like he's, it's doesn't, he doesn't seem like he's really drawn to that. He doesn't seem like he's drawn to sort of that other, those other sides of the process. Mm-hmm. You are at the mercy of the process and you are at the mercy of the business and you are at the mercy of just things that go wrong on, on, on everything. And I think that's, it's, it's weird to think about him as powerless, but I do think that like, there's something about this book is about powerlessness and it's about sort of what, even Keanu Reeves cannot control his destiny can only be as good as what's out there to do. Which is wrapped up in, and I'm not meaning to blow through all of this, although there's, you know, things to be said, but like, that's all sort of wrapped up in the John Wick package totally. a little bit too, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's what John Wick is about. Absolutely. In, in, in some ways, whether he knows it or not, it's about, I mean, I find John Wick really interesting because it's such a, they're, they're so glorious as action movies 
but I feel like they're also on some level about like having to make action movies, having to keep making action movies because like, what is the sort of the arc of John Wick? It's like John Wick wants to stop being John Wick and everybody's like, no, no, no. We need you to keep being John Wick. And if you want to survive now, you have to keep being John Wick and you have to go deeper. And like, you have to sort of, even though you can feel your soul kind of like you're losing your soul each time you do it, you have to keep killing people. And I think there's something like that about Keanu too. It's about, he's kind of wander. He's going away from what he's ultimately sort of wants to, wants to be in order to do that. Like, I think John Wick is, you know, I feel like he's probably, you know, made his peace with that on some level but i think when you're sort of younger and maybe a little more kind of i don't want to say pretentious but maybe you just sort of have like you are you're you know you're you're drawn to some kind of higher goal than selling a lot of movie tickets yeah. uh, i think that's that's a hard thing you know for some people to figure out and how you're gonna how you're gonna rationalize that how you're gonna carry that and live with it if you're you know it's like again it's like what the what the audience wants and what he wants are very different and they line up occasionally but there's a lot of the, you know those the part where the two lines kind of go out is you know the, away from each other is uh, you know pretty long where the two trains you know diverge yeah so there's this passage in the book by the way where you talk about bad keanu uh quote unquote yeah. uh it's it's where he's sort of playing uh not so great guys kind of a spring off of the gift in a way uh which which he did you know 15 years prior yeah. uh which might be the best i yeah that's the best evil keanu movie still i feel like i think that's that that might yeah. be you know, that's one of his greatest performances that's a, you know there's something there that he didn't tap into for years later yeah we were talking about man of tai chi which he directed and knock knock and the neon demon uh, I actually haven't seen Knock Knock, but I've seen the other two. Uh, talk about that. And just, again, a guy still, all these years later, seems like he's a guy trying to peg down who he is on screen, who he can be. And, and that's probably to an extent what all actors always do. And you never quite figure it out, but that's yeah. the journey. So go ahead. I mean, it's him cutting against the persona. It's him almost like flipping the persona around and saying like, oh, what if this was a mask for some real evil and creepiness what if there was something what if i was really a terrible guy and i think it's always it's interesting because i think those those movies kind of unfold in the context of me too and sort of like cultural reckoning around kind of male evil pretty much like a masculine you know badness and all all of that and it's he's right there as that's happening and kind of dramatizing it and saying like oh what if i was a terrible person like what if this you know, and these roles, they feel close to him in some way, but it's that, you know, it's then it sort of pivots and becomes, you know, something different and shows like a, you know, a, a dark side of him. I don't even know if it's, it, I don't think it's him showing a dark side that he possesses. It's him just investigating like what it would be like to be one of these guys. Knock, knock, which you should really see actually is worth it. If you're sort of, it sounds incredible. I mean, I've, I've, it's one of those movies I've known the premise for a long time and everything. I just never saw it. And, uh, <laughs> there's a bit earlier in the book where you talk about how he's kind of a guy who, uh, what did you say? Like he's, no one has, has been, uh, was it no one has had so many forced blowjobs or something like that? <laughs> it's, it's a lot. <laughs> if you watch all of these movies, you start to see themes that like no one would ever think of as a theme. <laughs> but he is very often, I can't think of another 
actor, certainly not another famously sexy male lead actor who is made love to as often in movies in various ways, in various sort of non-consensual or just sort of like either either a position where the woman is taking the lead, it's consensual and the woman is taking the lead or where it's non-consensual in the case of <laughs> of Knocked Up, uh, where he is, uh, I'm sorry, of, of uh, Knock Knock. Um, now that would have been quite a project that would look knocked up, knocked up with Keanu. <laughs> who do you i mean okay so who is he knocked up like is he sort of is he the paul rudd <laughs> character or the, no he, the... he's got to be some new character that's almost something like out of uh uh the what's the movie he did with where always be my maybe friend. yeah i mean yeah, i think yeah. that's the best <laughs> something like that yeah he can only be he can only play keanu reeves in that i guess the only part for him in knocked up is the james franco part the guy who's the who's being interviewed <laughs> By Catherine, there I go, go. like while, you know, while she's throwing up. Uh, there's no other place where he would where he would make sense. Yeah, I find these movies to be really the, like interesting and in another kind of underexplored area of his career. And in a sense, what happens is he makes John Wick, and then it takes a while for John Wick to percolate into the franchise that it becomes because everybody they just think this is another one of these. He's making a lot of like pretty much like straight to DVD movies, straight to video, whatever it is, straight to streaming. Um, in this time and i think there's not a lot of expectation that john wick is going to be anything other than that and it once it really connects they then have to spin back up the sort of john like there's was no plan to make another john wick until it's sort of like it clearly there's a reason to and so they have to spin that up and in the meantime these movies come out that feel like you know they they feel of a piece with john wick because like john wick is you know he's the baba yaga he's the sort of the he's the grim reaper like he's a dark he's a dark figure and he's like sort of like you know deals with you know dark shit but I love what he's doing in all of these films. I love the way that Refn uses him in Neon Demon uh, as mm -hmm. this, you know, just sort of uh, almost like, uh, like just the, the, you know, this, the sort of seamy spirit of Los Angeles that takes advantage of these, you know, young women who come into his space and, you know, he's sort yeah. of like, you know, he's the, he runs the motel uh, where she lives in, in Neon Demon. And like, he's, you know, clearly like he preys on, these people and i do think it's interesting too that like this is somebody who's been you know we're talking about powerlessness he is dramatizing in a lot of these cases you know these are all sort of hollywood themed movies and he's dramatizing the exploitation and the powerlessness and he's he is portraying someone who is preying on these people it's what he's doing in uh man of tai chi as well he's playing you know he's the guy who's manipulating this you know martial arts star to you know kind of kill for money and like kind of he's like sort of he's stealing his soul in some way and i i find all of that stuff really fascinating but you know it's, it really it, plays into what we were just talking about with john wick and, and yeah and how he's uh you know at the service of a machine that he feels uncomfortable being at the service of and so in man of tai chi he's he's playing the guys who want to turn johnny mnemonic into a keanu reeves action movie right <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I feel I feel like that's uh, you know think about him as the one time when you have him as the auteur in in some way, and you can sort of see like that you know he has things to say, and this is how he's saying them. And I I think that's mm -hmm. I think Man of Tai Chi is absolutely about his relationship with Hollywood, and I think that there is an allure to the, the the part of the lure of doing Neon Demon, even though that's not exactly what he's playing. He's just kind of, he's a kind of, you know, ancillary sort of antagonist. There's the whole of the, the business, but I think that's what I, that has to be what drew him to that story because that's about basically like Hollywood 
eventually literally chewing somebody up and spitting them out in uh, you know and it's sort of terrible you know kind of like you know darkly comic uh you know nicholas reffin kind of way um and then there's also yeah. bad batch where he's like playing you know the gross tony clifton version of himself like he's playing himself as a cult leader and he's thinking about you know again like sort of the kind of the the poisonous nature of charisma and the way that it can be used you know to control people and all of that i think like all of this is on his mind i don't even know if he's thinking about it necessarily but i think you know sometimes and certainly that's the nature of art it's the nature of art it's certainly the nature of this book is to assume that like sometimes there are hidden intentions that the <laughs> star is not even aware of and to assume totally. that that's you know that he's the it's the it's you know doesn't matter what the poets thought about the what they were saying about the Grecian urn. Like this is what we're you know. Like I think he's doing this. I whether he knows it or not. This is why you're you know he's drawn to it. It's like this is this book is me being like Keanu. Let me tell you what your movie is about. Um, which is why we're not friends. <laughs> well, they, hey, who knows? Uh, you said in the book, by the way, that uh, you assumed he would never talk to you again. Is that proved to be the case? Uh, maybe not willfully. I don't even know if you had a reason to cross paths again. But just curious about that. You know, I have no idea what he thinks of this book. <laughs> I have not heard anything. Um, I, yeah, I have no, I have no clue. There was a moment like somebody, I, I, I'm not going to say who it was, but I got a DM from somebody who was working with him and I was like, say hi for me. And then I was like, man, maybe don't say hi for me. If you kind of know what's good for you. Cause I sort of feel like there is a little bit of, you know, well, you could say this book feels a little stalkery in terms of like the way that he's sort of being looked at. Like I do a lot of like real sort of intense looking at Keanu in this and kind of at his behavior and like his body and his movement and all of those things. And like, I don't know if I'd want to talk to me after that, but I also mm -hmm. don't, you know, it's, I have, I have no clue what it feels like to be on the other side of something like this. Just like, I don't know what, he, I don't know what, you know, celebrities think about you know, the people who interview them, like, does he remember our conversation? Like, did he even put that together? I do think mm -hmm. he is a reader, you know, he does read books. I bet he hasn't read this book. Cause I, why would you read a book about yourself? If you were sort of, you know, and I, he might sort of feel like, Oh, that's about someone other than me. Like, that's not who I am because I feel like, there's, yeah. you know, my sense has always been that the version of him that you get in any kind of professional celebrity to journalist interaction and the version of him that like Alex Winter knows or any of those, you know, other people is probably very different. And I think there's a self-protective aspect to that where you just kind of show up and like, you know, he's got that great quote where he's like, I'm like Mickey Mouse at Disneyland. Nobody knows who's inside the suit. And I, you know, he's sort of like, I like it that way. And yeah. So I think I, you know, I imagine, I don't know. I don't know the guy. I mean, I've interviewed him a couple of times, but like, I, feel like he would appreciate it there's there's certainly a, a, a an element to the book that is all about how he's sort of caged in by people's perceptions of them or by the, by the Keanu that they want him to be and you give that a lot of you deal with that a lot in the book and I think he would appreciate someone recognizing that uh, he seems like a guy who would appreciate someone recognizing that anyway yeah. um but that's just my take I don't know I really would I would love I would love to have the conversation I think he would be nice about it I think uh, 
I think we've done a lot of damage here and, and we can probably wrap it up, but I will say everyone should read this book. Uh, Keanu Reeves, most triumphant, the movies and meaning of an irrepressible icon, Alex Papademus. Uh, it's, I, I truly mean it. It's one of the best books I've read of, of this nature. And I don't even know if there are really ma many books of this nature, but this is, uh, just, it's fucking great, man. So well done. Thank you very much. And I, I appreciate it. And, and as the leaf blowers fire up outside of my door on cue, man, cue. Los Angeles. <laughs> Just knows how to keep you on track. Hollywood, baby. Thank you so much, Alex, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Chris, it has been my great pleasure. Thank you. That's Alex Papademus. Next week on 50 Miles Per Hour. We've signed our action hero. Now we need an action heroine. The search is on for an actress to play Annie. There was every young actress that was available that and gettable was on our list. I mean, we're looking more at, at non-star actors who already had experience, and but more, most importantly, at authenticity. I'll cover both the enthusiasm and the trepidation that led to casting rising star Sandra Bullock. There was this sort of sense of like, oh no, she's going to be a star, let's get her now while we can. We were all like, oh my god, this woman is magnificent. Let's hope that we can cast her, that they'll let us cast her. And we'll talk about the palpable chemistry she was able to generate with co-star Keanu Reeves. In the audition, it was magic between them. There was no question. And then it was like the fight to make it happen. All of that and more next week, right here on 50 Miles Per Hour. Thanks so much for listening. 50 Miles Per Hour is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Chris Tapley. You can find us on Twitter at 50MPHpod. I'm at Chris Tapley. That's Chris with a K. You can also catch every episode and more at our website, 50mphpodcast.com. If you dug the show, please like and subscribe and do all the things. We'll see you next time.